You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hi there, welcome to the show. Monday, August the 23rd. It's cool, it's dry, it's overcast, a little grey here in TW11. Forecast to brighten up at the end of the week as we in racing in Great Britain bask in the afterglow of York's Ebor Festival. Good performances continued to come over the weekend only to enhance anticipation ahead of the autumn. Two Shadwell fillies either side of the Atlantic, Malathart in New York and Rabia in Deauville, both giving promise of greater things to come, perhaps in Breeders' Cup Classics and Arcs respectively, who knows? And another filly who will certainly be bound for either or both of those weekends is Ordaria, last year's Breeders' Cup filly and Mayor Turf here, who although beaten in yesterday's Jean Romanet, certainly enhanced her seasonal reputation. And talking about hope for the future, it's very much been a weekend for two-year-olds as well, with perfect power winning the pre-morning for trainer Richard Fahey, stemming what had been rather a disappointing spell for him. And in a moment, he'll tell us exactly why that victory was so significant. And the two really exciting middle distance prospects for next year, the 1-2 in the Chesham Stakes, Aidan O'Brien's Point Lonsdale and John and Thady Gosden's Reach for the Moon, both came out over the weekend and were wildly impressive, particularly the latter, owned and bred by Her Majesty the Queen. Could this horse give Her Majesty an extraordinary victory in the Platinum Jubilee Derby next year? In a moment, I'll be talking to Her Majesty's close racing and bloodstock advisor, John Warren. But first, Jane Mangan joins me. Uh, Jane, of all those two-year-olds I mentioned, which excites you the most? That's such a difficult question to answer, Nick, because each of them, particularly at the weekend, there were some wow performances. Starting with the Solario, the Group 3, Reach for the Moon, Race Keen, I was wondering what he'd find off the bridle. For me, it's it's interesting. See, the Stars hasn't actually had a Group 1 or Group 2 winning two-year-old, but this guy looks like the Dewhurst written all over him. Loads of pace, and uh, I was blown away by that performance at Sandown. John Gosden has won this race with and, and used this race for good horses in the past, like Ravens Pass, Kingman, and Too Darn Hot, and... Wouldn't surprise many people if he were to scale some of those heights. Um, and then, of course, over to the Curra Point Lonsdale. Something very like his brother Broom. He's very uncomplicated. Typically, um, one of Aiden's very straightforward, but almost to the point where you're wondering how good is he because he's doing it all on his own, unchallenged. And some people might say, oh, if the Chesham pair met again, the form might be turned around. I would challenge that because Point Lonsdale is doing very much on his own and doing it very well. And then go to France, perfect power, pre-morning, turning the Richmond form around comprehensively, came from last to first, got a bump on the way from Trident, the first two home actually gave themselves a little bit of an imposition under the standside rail, asymmetric ran well in third, but perfect power for Richard Fahey, that was a good turn of foot he showed in what looked a very deep renewal of the pre-morning, um, and just two weeks after, breeding Ebro River, Tally Ho, uh, a breeding perfect power what an achievement from them but for me the one we haven't mentioned is Agartha the filly the one the debutante Joseph O'Brien has got a very good filly on his hands I thought she beat fillies that look very promising when winning their maidens and Agartha for me Moigler written all over her 
So you think if the two staying two-year-olds met again, Point Lonsdale and Reach for the Moon, you'd be you'd be quite sweet on Point Lonsdale confirming the Cheshire form. Reach for the Moon, of course, being uh, by Sea the Stars, uh, out of a sister to an, an Oaks runner-up, has got the Derby written all over him on pedigree, and it's not escaped anybody's notice that it is the Queen's Platinum Jubilee next year. And with that in mind, I put in a call to Her Majesty's Racing and Bloodstock Advisor, John Warren, and began by asking him just how high the levels of excitement and anticipation were. I can <laughs> confirm that certainly the Queen's excited, um, which is a good start. Um, and yes, um, he's, a, he's a really important horse in the making. So it's, um, yeah, it's very exciting. And uh, I think we've got every reason to be excited. We certainly are. I mean, this is a family that Her Majesty the Queen knows extremely well, going back several generations. I remember Phantom Gold winning the Ribblesdale and Flight of Fancy being second in the Oaks. Do, has he shown you a surprising amount of speed, given his pedigree? I think the answer is no. Um, it's not that much of a surprise. Um, and fascinatingly... Um, the Queen has um, certainly thrown a line that the Mayor's a bit of an enigma because her, her damage, you know, was a Jeffrey Freer Ribblesdale um, animal and her full sister, Flight of Fancy, as you say, was runner-up in the Oaks. Um, so Sadler's, Sadler's World's um, had a phantom goad. You'd expect her to stay a mile and a half. But interestingly, she won a ma- she won a maiden at Newmarket over seven. And then we thought she was such quality that Michael Stout ran her in the Phillies Mile. So we knew she was class. Um, more interestingly, as a three-year-old, um, she won. Uh, we ran her in the Sandringham Handicap, um, and she ran a very nice race for second. And she won two listed races over seven furlongs. Um, the enigma part of the story is as a four-year-old, um, again, she was knocking on the door in some seven furlong listed races. She was second in the oak tree and things like that, and second in the chart wall. Um, but she showed so much extraordinary speed that Michael Stout even ran her in the actually didn't run very well in it. But that gives an indication. So it's no real surprise to us that um, through the dam that he, is, he has shown the speed that he's shown. And... Um, after he ran in the Chesham, I think John initially thought he'd run him in a mile maiden. And I said to him, um, I explained a little bit about the family and what the mother was about. And he said, well, let's, let's, um, let's um, you know, just throw him in on the seven phone um, scene at the moment. So that's been a really fascinating part of, uh, of his story that although he's bred to stay a mile and a half in some respects, um, because the dam was so fast, now um, there's a good chance we might be sweating whether he will stay a mile and a half. Because we can be as coy as we want about it, and we can we can crab around the subject, but clearly the nation wants, and Her Majesty the Queen more than anything, wants to own and breed a derby winner, and this looks the best chance for some considerable time. Um, how do you work back from that in your own mind? Um, well, I mentioned to someone the other day that we can speculate all day long um, on paper and on visuals looking at him and at home seeing him do things between all the inputs. The actual truth is that he's going to answer it for us. Um, 
And I think the debate at the moment that we're faced with one step at a time is um, the horse is a very exuberant horse and um, there's a fair chance, and um, he's only just come out of this race, so there's a fair chance that, that he may run again before one of the Group 1 races at the end of the season because he's so exuberant. So he may go for the champagne. Um, again, of course, that's seven. So we may not learn that much about reconfirming re his ability. What will be our debate is whether we, if he was able to step up again, do we wait for a Racing Post trophy at the end of the year, which is obviously much more indicative towards the Derby route, or shall we, using the speed, um, go for a Dewhurst. If you actually stripped him out physically, um, he's a bull. He doesn't look like a mile and a half horse. He's a very, very sort of abnormally powerful looking horse. And if he was by a sprinter, you wouldn't be surprised looking at him. So he's a very powerful, strong horse. So I think it's going to be one step at a time. And once we've got this season out of the way, I guess, depending on his class at the end of the year, whether or not we're inclined to look at a guinea's route as a starter and see where that takes us into derby trials thereafter. So I think it's we're only going to learn through what we see, um, evidence of his performance, rather than what our notions all are in-house. Given her five, six generation knowledge of this particular family and the potential therein, John, how does the Queen feel about about this horse? She um, is, you know, really uplifted by what she's seen so far. Um, and interestingly, I sent her a video in April, April the eighth, um, standing in the yard looking at her horses in Newmarket and I took a one minute video of each of them and I asked the trainers to comment on all of them and um, and we'd known this horse was an important physical from rearing him and the Queen looks three or four times a year um, and we obviously knew that he was above average not only physically but obviously the way he was bred he was you know bred to be a good horse. So on April the 8th, it was nice to hear John Gosden at that time um, be very sweet on the horse. He was, he, 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 he loved the way he moved. He loved his attitude. He loved the fact that being a see the stars, he wasn't necessarily going to take a lot of time to mature. He was very ahead of himself from a very early date. So that, that I think the Queen with the indicative sort of feedback and from what she knew. I mean, she knows her horses intimately. So from what she'd seen physically and the feedback from how the horse behaved when he was in training, um, all sort of was confirming that we just might be onto something. And she, she, she's, um, she's been, her antennae have been well up. Yes. And uh, we have known for a little while now that, next year's derby is an official part of the of the platinum jubilee as it was for the for the diamond jubilee is that right yes absolutely yeah the four days and um 
it's obviously for ra from racing's point of view, it's an important slot within that uh, program to be helping to profile our our industry within that within that Derby Derby afternoon slot. Yeah. Well, I can't imagine how it's going to be for everybody involved with this horse inching their way painstakingly towards towards next June. But, but I appreciate your time, John, and uh, in the interim, can only wish you well with each step. Well, thank you very much, Nick. It's um, very exciting, and uh, fingers crossed that Her Majesty gets a well-deserved result for all of her incredible um, dedication and input to producing horses um, um, at, at any level. But obviously, at this level, it's really rewarding for her. John Warren there, Bloodstock and Racing Advisor to Her Majesty the Queen, whose reach for the moon, if all goes smoothly between now and next June, is going to be comfortably the best-known horse in training, probably in the world. One horse that means everything right now to Moulton trainer Richard Fahey is Perfect Power, who stemmed a rather disappointing flow for the prolific Moulton trainer by winning the Group 1 pre-morning at Dobiel yesterday. Uh, why does this mean so much? I've been talking to the trainer. We uh, sort of set a high standard there and we're, we're, we're not up to that at the moment. And uh, you just you just need group one winners just to, just to keep, you, keep you happy and keep the owners happy, you know. When you say you're, you're not up to that at the moment, is, this, is that just a, a function of the, of the depth of quality of horses in the stable at the moment? Yeah, we just uh, a lot of the old boys are getting old, I'm afraid, and uh, not 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 batting to where they were when they were kids. Um, and we're just look. I mean, I say uh, let's not be too depressing about it. Like 97 winners is not too bad, but you sort of set a precedent, and uh, you're expected not, not, not just by the public but by yourself to, to keep to that standard. And we've just been a bit below that this year, you know. But there's, there's still plenty of the season left, and a bit more damage to do, you know. And in terms of in terms of numbers and the yard and the strength of the yard, is it is it still is it still where it was numerically? We're, we're a little bit down in numbers, um, but it's like everything else. If you're not trying to win, as you know, pe people don't come. You know, uh, it's all about winning. And uh, by 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 our standards, we're we're not winning as many as we should. You know. And are you good at keeping keeping fairly optimistic when things are quiet, or 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 is it? Do you get quite frustrated? You've got to get frustrated. If, if if you don't get frustrated, you, you you shouldn't be doing the job. But I think the the big key is not to change anything, just to keep it going. We we were testing them and making sure there was nothing wrong with them. And to be honest, there was nothing wrong with them. They're just they're just not good enough. Some of the the old boys, and I'm afraid uh, handicapper won't agree with. But they, they don't they don't give us a chance too quick, you know. Um, some 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 of the horses there are badly handicapped, probably, and and can't win. But the only way they come down is is by racing them. But I just find mine mine come down a bit slower than maybe <laughs> maybe someone else's. You know, I think a few I think a few trainers um have, have had that complaint over the years as well. I, I guess I guess you feel that you've you've developed a, a reputation for training loads of winners, and and you feel the handicapper has has got that reputation subconsciously in the back of of his mind. Is that sort of how you how you feel? It's not how I feel. I can prove it if you want. <laughs> I can give you, I can give you statistics on on other people's horses on my own. Yes, they do treat me differently. You know, but that's moaning. We shouldn't moan. Uh, we bought a lot of sort of stand type two year olds this year, so so that's my own fault. That's not the handicapper's fault. Let's not put all the blame on the poor handicapper. You know. Um, so we 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 felt last year that we would still buy a couple of sharp two year olds, but we 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 wanted to. 
to start getting some mile and a quarter, mile and a half horses because I just feel there's a, a leash there at the moment. There's a good market to sell them on and, and there's not many of them, you know. I, I just sort of looked at it and I, I felt that I'm saying they're soft races, that's a bit unfair, but there, there's not there's not many of them. The Australians have been coming over buying them and I just thought, uh, you know, that uh, there, there'll be a shortage of them in two or three years' time. So... Uh, Hopefully we'll come good in uh, two years, three years' time. You know. But, of course, you've struck in France with your stock in trade. A very good, sharp sprinter, perfect power, who's won a really deep morning by by quite a long way, beating a horse trained by, by André Fab with a Richmond winner back in third. I mean, it is obviously very notable for him to have won a Group 1. He's already massively outrun his pedigree and expectations on him before he came into training with you. What I want to know now is... Is this the culmination? Is this a glorious culmination, or is this just the beginning for this horse? Um, I, I think it's just the start. To be fair, uh, it'll take a good colt to beat him when things go right. You know, uh, I, I said after the Norfolk there that it'll take a real good one to beat him. Well, he got beat, but that's racing. These things happen, you know. And to be fair, yesterday he probably verified what I was thinking of him so because he, he, he does pick up he's got a he's got a, an electric turn of foot now and uh, a great mind and it, it makes it easier to train you know so Middle Park's the obvious next target would you consider the, the Dewhurst as an alternative as well um, I'm, I'm sticking the plan A plan A was Richmond France and uh, Middle, Middle Park and yesterday didn't show me any, any reason why to, to change that Richard Fahey there on Perfect Power. And before that, of course, John Warren on Reach for the Moon. Jane Mang has been listening to that. She's back with me. Let's canter through what else we saw yesterday, particularly at Deauville, Jane. Or Daria couldn't back up her success from last year in the Prigent Romanet, but I thought she almost enhanced her reputation in defeat, and I'm not sure she should have been beaten either. I'm with you. My reason for thinking she should have won is she got a significant bump uh, as they straightened up from Eberia. Um, she picked up really well, only to be collared on the line by Grand Glory. That was my main um, frustration for Odaria because I thought she was the best filly in the race. Thundering Knights has run well. Kay and Pepper disappointed for me. Lady Bothorp did not pick up in her usual manner, having raced keenly. And insinuendo, I actually met Willie McCreary at Nace and he said Billy B said she, she just didn't feel like herself and she hung in straight. So Odaria... That was what I thought, Nick. Was that the difference between winning and losing when you only uh, have a short edge? I'm not a jockey, but here's my bit of race reading for you. I think Yoritz Montezbal, he got locked behind a, a wall of horses. When he got daylight, he asked her to go. And he asked her to go quite urgently with a couple of taps behind the saddle. And I just wonder whether she took him by surprise because she quickly took two and a half lengths out of the field. And, and I think maybe she just made, if he delayed his challenge, I think I think she would have won. Well, Jane Christian Demuro, who rode the winner, doubled up on Rabia in the Prix de Pomon. That was a very impressive performance, and it's easy to forget that last year, Demura was agonising over to whether to ride her or Sotsas in the arc itself. For sure, and she didn't disgrace herself in the arc, and I suppose, you know, finishing fifth, she's coming back now as a four-year-old. The performance in the Pre-Pamon was brilliant. Um, you can question maybe Je de Soir, you know, she's always going to have to face 
better opposition than her. But I have a lot of respect for Valia, the filly that went off favourite for the Aga Khan. She finished third. Um, but it was just, uh, she picked up and she extended away and she maintained that momentum all the way to the line. It wasn't just a burst of speed and she was being collared. She was really extending away two and a half lengths to the line. But I think that was a perfect prep for the Vermai and then perhaps the tilt of the arc. Just a quick word on another horse who might end up at the arc meeting, but perhaps in the pre la Foray, the seven furlong group one, Space Blues, who won the City of York Stakes, the Skybet City of York Stakes, the, on the final day of the of the Ebor Festival. It was good to see him back. It was, and it was a comprehensive performance. He put the Lennox run behind him, um, and I suppose for connections, it was nice to see that. He won the Primars Geese last year. He's a seven furlong specialist. I was reading William Haggis's plan for Sacred is that she's going to go to the foray well this guy is going to join her by the looks of it and it was it was a very likable performance to beat Highfield Princess and Glorious Journey picked up really well ridden patiently settled quite well and I think he's the finished article now Jane it's that time of the year where you've got to have eyes in the back of your head if you want to focus on all the good stuff from from around the world I sometimes think if you're a, a fan of quality Group one racing around the world, you'd be forgiven for, for not knowing when some of it's on half the time. It is frustrating as racing fans to have to not be able to just focus in on the top level action. And I just speaking from personal experience, yesterday we were working in Nice, and yes, the race was 10 minutes before the morning but of course in France they like to load nice and slowly and it eventually just it clashed and we had to concentrate on our own domestic action but surely in top level action we should be able to concentrate on the build up uh, on the race itself and on, on basically to get a time to digest it I think there are many things in racing we can improve and this is surely an open goal we are shooting ourselves in the foot if we people who love racing can't even focus in on top level action it's it's what it's all about it's why we have racing every day so that you can identify a horse that can line up at the highest level at the best race meetings and, and we can enjoy them and unfortunately yesterday we couldn't so would you suggest and I, I realize of course they're all on different tv channels which makes it complicated but could we do you think we could affect a system whereby at least in england ireland and france or britain ireland and france there's a system whereby there is a some sort of clear window say, a 10-minute either-side window of every registered Group 1 race? Now to, yeah, well, I, I do think that would be quite not difficult. I don't think that's difficult. I don't think anybody would have a problem with if there was one 40-minute gap somewhere in the middle of a car just to facilitate a Group 1 in Europe. Now, somebody who's studious will point out, well, there actually was 10 minutes between the race yesterday, but it was just because the French race is just so slow to load, they went so over time that it ended up clashing. Um, I, I think it's a fairly, not a difficult thing to do. I think if we open our minds a little bit, we'll realise it is the right thing to do. And instead of finding a problem with it, find a solution. And it's quite obvious. Well, just as an example of what you were saying, Jane, yesterday, well, the Sandown car didn't kick in until later, so that didn't really interfere with the racing at, at, at Deauville too much, not the Group 1 racing anyway. There were races at 2.50 and 3.25, the Group 1s, the Pre-Morny and the Pre-Jean Romanet, all of whom had significant British, Irish and French interest. On the same channel, you had a 2.50 at Brighton and a 3.20 at Brighton. Now, as it, things stood, they, they didn't clash, but two of them were actually slated to go off at exactly the same time. And I kind of agree with you, and I know we are internationalists and many people aren't necessarily, but these races at Deauville, surely there's the sort of races we should 
we people should be interested in Yes, and it's not just Deauville, it's a, it's a problem throughout the year, and I don't think, I actually believe that anybody who has an interest in racing wants to see the highest level, they want to see the Group 1, Group 2s, and uh, I know we, we can't satisfy everybody, but surely if we can focus in on Group 1s, give them the attention that they deserve, because that is, that's the goal, that's for the goal for everybody, as a jockey, as an owner, like, I, I for, for example, I remember sitting in Wexford, watching Cheltenham, and having to go out to ride in a race, and, you know, like, I wasn't even thinking about the race I was going to ride in because I wanted to see who was going to win such a race in Cheltenham. It's it's something that I think is quite easily um, solved. Um, and if there is a forty minute gap somewhere in a card, there's a reason for it. And we, I think we can we can improve a situation that is quite obviously uh, just a little bit annoying for people and frustrating that we can't actually, as racing people and as racing fans, make it easier for us. To enjoy them. And Jane, talking about what racing fans want, Lee Mottisett has touched on this in his column in the Racing Post today, talking about not losing sight of your of your core audience when when putting on outside entertainment on race days, prompted by an interview he did with Emma Banks over the weekend. Yes, I I really thought that hit the nail on the head. Now, personally, as an Irish person, we don't have much after racing entertainment I think Leopardstown is the only track where I've seen a concert post racing and at the moment sure we don't have crowds going racing anyway so it's just a problem in the UK that we can really discuss but I I don't know if anybody watched Drive to Survive or you know Michael Jordan's documentary but that was enlightening into that particular sport and I went in as somebody not knowing anything about Formula One and coming out of it you know enthralled by the little dynamics and everything that makes a difference in that sport and I think we to focus on our product which is the animal which is the thoroughbred racehorse and don't and and educate people on that and why we love it and I, I do believe that we have a fascinating sport with so many layers and rather than bringing people in for something that is completely unrelated to our product we should focus in on that and, and that's basically what Emma Banks said yesterday but we can do that. We have loads of we have loads of talented people who are passionate about the sport. Just give them a platform uh, with which to do it. And what really annoyed me, and I read that in in Lee's uh, article today, is the inflated ticket prices for for people who are attending the concert more than the people who are attending the race meeting. Talk about frustrating. That is not good enough, and that is that is a it's a huge frustration with me I, I think we should be rewarding the racing fans the people who turn up every day to stand by the ring to see Batash parading to, to welcome back um, Sonny Boy Liston after winning the Ebor those are the people we should be trying to satisfy outside of that we can, we can barely paddle one canoe let's not try and do two Well, you may have caught it over the weekend, but if you didn't, I can tell you that the 26 intrepid cyclists who took on the great racing welfare cycle completed, uh, showered in champagne at Newton Abbott, having started their journey at Carlisle. Um, For our international listeners who are familiar with neither Carlisle nor Newton Abbott, I can just tell you that is a bloody long way. Uh, Lauren Braithwaite from Racing Welfare is one of the 26 that did this. Um, How are you feeling? I, um, one, I can confirm that it is a bloody long way, um, and yeah, I, um, a whole mixture of things, but I'm tired, uh, the legs are pretty sore, 
Um, but kind of feeling pretty elated that I made it to the finish line. To be honest, it was um, it was an emotional week. <laughs> I, I did see one or two of your number interviewed afterwards and it, it th- there's obviously a massive bonding exercise here as well all of you sort of helping each uh, other along what just give yeah. me give me an indication as to some of the, the challenges that you faced that perhaps you hadn't expected um I think it was just the especially for where I've been training um as you know I'm sort of Newmarket Suffolk based um so there are a few hills but absolutely nothing like what we were tackling on this um trip so the just relentlessness of some of the hills was um was a lot to take on and um I think I felt sort of fit enough to do a hundred mile one off but to do it back to back for five days was um was pretty brutal so yeah the whole everyone that took part was just incredible there was so much camaraderie it was so much fun um even through the tears um everyone got behind each other and just there was so much encouragement and like you say a real real bonding week um it was it was just amazing were there times when you genuinely thought i can't carry on doing this yeah, and they came pretty early on, which was a bit of a worry. Day two was pretty bad for me. Um, that was the toughest morning of climbing. Um, and yeah, I got to lunchtime and thought, I, I'm not sure I'm going to make it through the week. But um, somehow the body perked up again on day three. And yeah, we just kept going. And I think knowing that all these donations were coming in um, and we were getting so much support on social media and just friends and family and, um, you know, as I said, everyone else that was taking part, somehow we just managed to encourage everyone to to get to the finish line. Um, Yeah, it was incredible. So you got to Newton Abbott on Saturday. Uh, What have you you done for the last 36 hours? (laughs) Well, I then had a long journey back to Norfolk I was coming back to actually so I didn't get back till two o'clock in the morning on Saturday night so yesterday was a bit of a write-off um just kind of crawling around the house trying to get myself together um my husband very kindly made an amazing roast dinner which um I think I definitely deserved um and yeah back to work today so yeah it's uh uh, yeah, it's going to take the legs a little while to recover, I think. And you, you between you, you've raised an incredible amount of money. What's the what's the running total? Um, I'm not sure exactly where we're at, but we're definitely over seventy thousand, which is just amazing. And it just makes it all worthwhile thinking of that. Um, and yeah, donation. It's still possible to donate if anyone would like to show their support for what we achieved. What's the easiest way to do that, Lauren? The best way um, would be just to head to the Racing Welfare website, racingwelfare.co.uk, go onto the challenges page, it's all there, and you can see everyone's individual um, text to donate numbers are all on there. Brilliant. Well, it's been a, a wonderful endeavour. I'm, I'm really pleased that you're A, still standing just, and certainly B, <laughs> B still smiling. Um, and, uh, and just a, a massive congratulations to all of you for what just it must have been a... A hellish but brilliant endeavour. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks to all my guests today, particularly to Jane Mangan, who's with me now and has a tip for you. 
Yes, I'm going to the West of Ireland, the 5.15 Flying Scotsman. He was victorious twice at the Galway Festival last year on the flat and he's taken to hurdles pretty well and I hope he can win the 5.15 today for Joseph O'Brien and Mark Walsh. Jane, thanks so much. Thank you for listening. We'll see you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.